Before we start the show, I want to tell you about Serve HQ. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip people for your team. What if there was an easier resource? Well, let me recommend to you Serve HQ. Serve HQ is simple video training courses that help you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people efficiently. Check it out at servehq.church and the link will be in the show notes. Servehq.church. So we, we can say that those are good, those are bad. It's like, well, in a kingdom tapestry in a city, we need all types of churches doing all types of things and we can celebrate each other. And the same with leaders. And then within churches, I think that and this isn't a new idea. This is a Bible idea. You see this idea of a plurality of giftings with interdependency. And I think it's like one of God's great experiments is like giving the church scattering gifts and then making imperfect people have to work together because then he gets all the credit and glory. And in the process, we're constantly being formed into more and more Christ-like people by mutual submission. And so I think it's like delighting in other people's gifts and abilities. I don't think there's one type of pastor, one man or woman or prototype for a man or woman that's the leader for the day. We need people who are savvy in the digital space and people who don't have cell phones. friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season nine, episode 10. Today on the podcast, we have Jason Ballard. I'm so excited to get this conversation to you. So thank you so much to our sponsors who are making it possible to serve HQ, where you can train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online fast and easy. And also Compassion Canada, who are lifting children from poverty and hunger in Jesus' name. And Scripture Untangled, a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society. I would love for you to check out our sponsors. If you support them, it helps support the show. But also, of course, we also have a whole back catalog of these podcasts. You should should subscribe to our YouTube channel. You should find us wherever you're listening to this podcast. You should hit the subscribe button, whether it's audio or video. We would love for you to carry along the journey so you don't miss episodes, so you can check out the back catalog. And so your subscription can help other people find it. The more subs we have, the more the algorithm wants to present it to more people. It's just kind of how the game works. All right, let me tell you a little bit more about Jason Ballard before we dive into the conversation with him today. Jason Ballard is the lead pastor of The Way Church, which is a new church in Vancouver, Canada. He's also leading the team at CCLN, the Canadian Church Leaders Network. And you may actually know him from being the face or one of the faces of the Alpha Youth Video Film Series. And it's been translated into languages around the world. And so you may recognize his face or you may know him from his leadership and his work. But I hope you're going to love this conversation. Lean in as we talk to Jason Ballard today. Jason Ballard, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm uh, I'm just so glad to have you on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a real joy to be with you. Um, you know, before we go too far, give us some context. Who is Jason? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right now, like on the other side of this computer, I'm staring past the computer and I can see sort of the tops of the building of Vancouver. So Vancouver is where I live and pastor and my family lives here. I got three little ones, Hudson, Mary, and Millie. Millie is right with me right now. Uh, she's homesick from school today. And my wife, Rach, is studying. She's back at school. 
um, oh, is which she? is really exciting. Yeah, which is really fun. And so we're, you know, rearranging all the rhythms. And so I'm home uh, with Millie, which is a lot of joy. And we moved to Vancouver three years ago to plant a church. And so leading that church with some friends, and it really is with friends, is a big part of my world. And kids is a big part of my world. And I really like where I live. I love being from Vancouver. I love walking around the city so much. And uh, so I'm grinning because I'm looking past the screen right now at the city thinking about, wow, this is pretty cool to be able to live here and work here and pastor here. Yeah. I'm, I want to get into your brain because about this church that you're, you have launched just in the last few years, kind of like right around all things COVID. Um, but before, and because I think what you're doing feels in its approach feels fresh in some mm-hmm. ways. Some stuff is like nothing's new. Church planning is church planning. Hopefully some, some of it's <laughs> what the church has always been doing for 2000 years. Hopefully. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not, maybe some of that's not being reinvented, I hope, but yeah, hopefully. But I'd love to get into some of your approach around that to en- encourage some, some thinking. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of church leaders feel like they're replanting their mm-hmm. own churches right now. Um, but, but before we go there, I want to talk about Alpha because most people won't be won't be watching us. They'll be just listening. And you're, but they may know your face as a guy from like the last ten or however many years from these Alpha Youth videos. Yeah. Um, so let's go there for a few minutes. Sure. How did that even happen? You're you became like the face of these videos all over the world, telling people about Jesus. Like, yeah. Give us the context of that. Okay, it's wild. So there's two like plot lines to follow. One is the plot line of Alpha, which is a really stunning story. I mean, a church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton had kind of like a class about the basics of the Christianity. I think there was a conviction that they should have a meal. So there's like some food and a talk. And then one of the pastors, it's Church of England, so they might say one of the vicars, thought, I think this could be a really good environment for people who don't know Jesus personally or wouldn't connect with church or walked away or whatever it might be. And so they began to sort of host what effectively was like a series of dinner parties followed by like a talk. And I think it was like at a, the beginning. Big que- like addressing like a big question, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, big questions and just based on the Christian faith. Who's Jesus? What is the cross about? Uh, faith, prayer, Bible, stuff that even people who wouldn't grow up in church might have a reference point, at least in like some of these environments. And so, and it just begins to take off. Like it, they are just doing it for their church. And then other churches within England and the church of England start going, what are you doing? Why is this working? Yeah, it also showing up, asking questions. And I think if I understand, I'm not around for this part of the story at all. Um, I'm definitely just a very little kid when this is happening with no clue that it's happening. They start passing like, people are smuggling cassette tapes of like Nikki Gumbel talks. (laughs) I didn't know that. And then they're playing, this is for real. Like before there's any videos or anything, they're like circling around. And there's this, like, I think there's a really special thing about this idea of hospitality. And then a real conviction that the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting when it comes to this stuff. So there's a lot of trust Mm. in the Holy Spirit Um, and that people should have a place to explore. And so then over time, it goes from one language to 10 languages to over 50 languages around the world. It goes from Church of England to include Catholics to evangelicals across the board. It's multi-denominational, multinational, multilingual. And then it starts to iterate. And so it goes from cassette tape to they film Nikki Gumbel's live talks. And, and so this thing's growing. I think 
you know, it's, I don't know how many churches it's in now, but there's, there's tens of thousands of churches today running it. And it has been for a long time. Now, my story's, you know, on a very separate track from Alpha because I'm in Canada, I'm a high school student and I start this, me and my friends are praying before school at our public school in grade nine, it would have been maybe half a dozen of us. And then each year, a few more and a few more. And we've got this kind of prayer group going and we start asking questions like, what do we do? Like, how can we love and serve our school? So we start these like service and justice projects in our school. And we're like raising money for stuff and picking up litter after school. And then we heard about this like discussion-based resource with video called Quest. And so what had happened is some people had taken the alpha model and said, what would that look like for high school students? And they built this resource called Quest. And it was like VHS. So I was like an, as a high school kid getting I did it. My I remember You it. did it. It's John amazing. John youth group, man. Come on. <laughs> so I'm like rolling in. This is for, this is how old we are. I'm rolling in one of those big, remember how they used to have the TV on the cart with the VHS yeah, player? And everything was so like I'd, locked down with big yes, clips. Yeah. Yes, totally. And so I'd roll it into the foods room after school where we had permission to run it. And we'd have these discussion conversations about Jesus. And what I didn't know at the time that Quest was modeled after Alpha. But interestingly, one of my friends from school also did Alpha with me at church, like, like humble gumble, classic Alpha, like Nikki just chatting. So I had this real warm affinity to Alpha and this affinity to this model of discussion. So what Quest mm-hmm. did so brilliantly was like the training said, don't answer everyone's questions. So anyways, I'm doing this. And then right after high school, I start leading this ministry that had encouraged me called Canada Fire, which was about helping high school students do work like I described in their school. And so we're working with hundreds of schools across Canada, but Quest is so dated. I mean, it's just like, it's so clearly a dated resource. Like it's not, students wouldn't be proud to bring their friends. And so I remember thinking, oh, I should ask Alpha if they have anything for high school students. And at the time they didn't, they had no video series for high school students. They had a workbook, but we kind of started to realize, well, it's like really hard if a student gets up to have to give these talks to their friends and then ask their friends to, to talk honestly about it. So Shayla Visser, who's a hero of mine, she's the national director of Alpha Canada. Her and I just began to dream together what it would look like to build a video resource that was engaging, students would be proud to bring their friends to it, that was truly Alpha. And so that was probably, those conversations were probably 2011. And by 2013, we launched our very first Alpha Youth Series. And it was really, really fun and a crazy learning adventure because I had no film experience and never worked with a budget like that. Alpha is like we're having editors from all of these different denominations. So it was a real education for me. And then very cool. We got to redo it in 2017. And so the reason why that's special is because it's very rare as like an artist or creator, you get to like take all of your learnings and apply it again. But in this right. case, we got to release it again in 2017. And, um, and then since then alpha in the youth space has taken off to the, to the credit of, alpha staff members all over the world and local churches all over the world. Like it's, that's the beautiful thing is like by doing it with alpha, we got to create a resource that was injected into an infrastructure and a team and a vision around the world that was much bigger than our own. Um, so that's, that's the alpha story. And so me and my friend Ben kind of wrote a lot of the talks together with friends and then got to be the presenters among other voices that were involved with it. And so then every once in a while, I'll be like in a drive through somewhere in America or if I'm traveling overseas or in Canada and a high school student will go, Hey, are you that guy from that thing? And I'm <laughs> oh, they like, do. that's so funny. It's so great. And you know, if they're a church kid or not by how they react, if they're a church kid, they're like really pumped. If they're a non-church kid, they're kind of a little bit like, are you that, 
that dude and they're not quite sure if it's cool or weird. And so <laughs> I'm always really honored with that. You know, even with like you, you know, like your co-host, I, I had the opportunity of witnessing that experience of him. I was in the UK. I was at an alpha event, um, at, you know, the big Royal Albert Hall thing yes. they do every year. They haven't done for a few years with COVID, but I was at this event and I'm watching these, um, I think it was a, a group from the Philippines, like mm -hmm. all swarm him. I, he and I were walking together and then this group swarms and it was fascinating yeah. um, to see just, I mean, ultimately the, the connection and the impact mm -hmm. that this has had. In and that's lives. what blows my mind is like, and I know that there's an emphasis on this podcast to have conversations around the digital space. And I think, um, I think what's so special about my experience is you meet people who, well, for example, last night at church, okay, so we just launched another location of our church near UBC. And so I, I don't speak most weeks. I'm not speaking, but I was speaking last night. And this girl came up afterwards who's from Saskatchewan, and she gave her life to Jesus on the Alpha Youth Series. So she comes up to me afterwards, wow. and she's just like, she's like, she's like, trying to express to me the role that it played in her life. And then as a result, the role that somehow I've played in her life. And that's stunning. Like that just floors me. And I just try to slow down enough to go, okay, wow, Lord, like that's a special thing to be part of. Like mm -hmm. that is like, that's like sacred stuff to be part of. And I know my part is like tiny and it's like all of her youth leaders that actually did the work in her life that are the real heroes, but there's trust built there. And I think that's something yeah. that whenever we create video content or audio content or any digital content, we have to sort of like be stewards of it. And then to, it feels so disconnected. Like even this conversation, I don't know how you feel, Joanna, sometimes it's disconnected from the listeners. But like right now, as it's being listened to, we're in the car with friends having a conversation that's real. Mm -hmm. And that's always a discipline for me to acknowledge how real that really is. Yeah. Well, and I, um, I've even in a different sense, I've had some, some friends in my neighborhood here, they're not Christian folk. And they kind of joke like, Joanna, we just feel like listening to your voice, we're all going to become Christians. Like, I think they're saying something <laughs> about like the, I, they're, they're making, they're kind of making fun of me, but you know, okay, I hope that's true. I hope you do become Christians. But there's something about what they're saying is like, there's this tone or this trust that's built mm. through this, um, through this means like, like it's a disembodied, I'm not there. And they're hearing me say something or do mm. something and they feel connected to it in some way, um, yeah. in, a, in a much smaller way than what you're talking about. But, oh, it's real, but it though. is it's this real. weird thing. Yeah. And so, um, let, let's move to the church. Um, what is it about what you learn? I mean, talk about like a training ground as a young mm -hmm. leader. And there's like, I know you've spoken in another podcast about how Shayla is a mentor in your life mm -hmm. as the leader of Alpha Canada and beyond for her, how she's impacted you. But how these years and what happened in this Alpha setting, how did that launch you or how, mm -hmm. how has that affected how you thought about this church planting thing? Mm-hmm. And like, why do you want a church plan? Because like, that's hard. <laughs> I wanted to be in high school. I got really serious about my faith. Like God really came alive for me. Um, and I'm like, just to be really clear, like I struggle with belief every day. Like I feel like, um, but there was a really definitive moment as a high school student where God came alive for me. And I was all in. So for me, who was like really this vibrant point in my faith, I really wanted to go into like 
business. I, so I studied business in my undergraduate at Simon Fraser University. And that was my plan. But what had happened is I started spending my weekends speaking at like youth groups and youth retreats and things like that. So I find myself though in my undergraduate studying business and, but then spending my weekends speaking at these different things like youth events and youth conferences and churches. And then what had ended up happening is there's this growing burden inside my heart to give my life to serving the local church. And so what I'm about to say, I just know that it's not universally agreed on. I had a conviction deep inside my heart that I think like I can make an, a, a logical defense for, but it didn't come from a logical progression. It was just a growing conviction that first I'm meant to give my life to the local church. Like I'm meant mm. to, like I've got to. And it wasn't, that wasn't a word from God as much as like something I could, I couldn't not do it. And so I found myself in my third year, my undergraduate being like, I'm going into church work. But then the interesting thing is, I found myself going, and I want to do it in the context of a local church. And I grew a, a conviction that when churches are healthy, they are the best mechanism for social transformation there is. Hmm. And I know that's a contested statement, but I believe with my whole heart, I believe it theologically, but I believe it logically and sociologically that the best hope, I, I'm in a part of Vancouver right now called Fairview, the best shot for Fairview experiencing renewal and social care and love and cohesive networks of community that can actually help people at every stage of life is a vibrant local church when it's healthy. And so I just felt like my burden's there. So everything I think about is like local churches. And then so much of what I think about now is local churches are led by, like healthy churches are led by healthy people. And so how healthy right. are the people who are leading the churches? So that's my burden. Um, and so I think I always knew in my heart that I was meant to give my best energy, my best thought, my best time, everything to local churches. And I think as I kind of looked at the church in Canada, though, I, I started realizing that more, less, more than church planning, the need is church revitalization. There's so many churches that are in leadership transition as boomers approach retirement. Maybe I should be part of church revitalization. I spent 10 years um, at a great church in Langley outside of Vancouver serving on their staff. And I hope maybe I could be here for a long time or go and help revitalize a church. But then over time with some friends, there's this growing conviction that we felt like God was leading us to plant a church in Vancouver. And that was interesting because probably 10, 12 years earlier when Rach and I were dating, I kind of started saying things like, I think maybe around 2020, so this is like 12 years before, mm -hmm. so 2008, maybe around 2020, we'll move to Vancouver and we'll plant a church. And like, it's just interesting how like, whether those types of statements created my perception that that was where God was leading or God partnered with my imagination that moment, which is what I think happened. And, um, and then there's just a series of events that just sort of was like, okay, this is the right time. And so by 20, end of 2018, we had concluded September, 2020, myself, my friend, Chris and Jeremy felt called to plant together. We're going to plant in September, 2020, not knowing that that would be in the middle of the pandemic. Well, as we're talking to Jason Ballard today, I know that for a lot of people who are part of church life or curious about it, the Bible can feel overwhelming, confusing, and maybe even hard to believe. But Scripture Untangled is a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, and it brings you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to help you be inspired to dive into the Bible and understand it. You can listen for free and subscribe to Scripture Untangled wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can go to scriptureuntangled.ca for more info. Scriptureuntangled.ca. Yeah. <laughs> and so like pretty immediately on this church planning journey, you guys had 
by you had to have a fairly significant like digital piece but but was mm. that always part of the plan like when you're thinking of like you're a millennial age person yeah. you're thinking of the future of church was that already like you already had that in mind or you were kind of wary you know, it, of di- of the the digital space but you had to go yeah. there for a little while I was I was definitely fluent in like like the basic of the digital space like you know I was I, I was a consumer of, of podcasts and participatory and alpha, you know, and film making film. But I think we had almost made a decision not to be primarily, um, we weren't, we had social media, we had things, but we're kind of like, Hey, let's, let's get the online Sunday morning thing going in year two or three. So we we had decided not to be essentially. And then, um, but then in, so, so in February of 2020, where we're at in the story is we've got two small groups meeting in the city. This is pre-launch. We've got a growing launch team that's not even meeting regularly yet. And we're getting ready to start two things. We just started an alpha. So we wanted to, before we start a church, like bake into our DNA, like almost like the starter of bread matters. So we wanted to start mm. making hospitality and spirit dependency and a heart for those outside the church a priority. So we wanted to alpha before we even started. So we're in the middle of running alpha, haven't even started meeting with our team. And then the pandemic restrictions hit in March. And there was this moment of like, what do we do? And I remember this kind of moment with Jer, who I planted with, where it's like, he's like, I didn't move to Vancouver to plant an internet church, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and there was no shade on, <laughs> on that proposition, but it was just him going like, he's, a, in, he's in the room guy, like to know Jer is to know this extroverted presence. And he's like, I want to be in the room. And, and so we had this moment of going, okay, let's, let's, what, what, what might we do? And, and probably it just took about 24 hours for us to go, okay, we're all in. And at that time, we didn't know how long the restrictions would be. But I remember on Easter of 2020, we started our first launch team gathering and we met on Zoom every single week for 20 plus weeks before we launched. And it was stunning, Joanna, like what mm, was wow. happening on those Zoom calls. And we would wait on the Holy Spirit and we would teach and we'd do breakouts and silly game, anything we could to get human connection happening and see what the spirit would do. And we try worship and the leg would kill it, but it was like, but we'd wait in silence on the spirit and God started showing up. And then we started doing alpha online and someone got saved on the alpha weekend and the spirit touched them and he's crying in his bedroom. And he doesn't know that you're supposed to cry in these moments because he's never been to church before. And you're like, Oh my goodness. Like, so there's this growing sense. So when we started September 20, we started the youth group online. We started small, uh-huh. 10 small groups online, Sunday mornings online. And there's so many funny moments. Like I remember we would as pastors be like, we should be available after the service on Zoom. And the first week people came and saw, but then the second week we're available and no one showed up. And I remember me, so people show up for the service, right? Yeah. Whatever, you see the numbers. And then we're like, I bet there's people are going to love to kind of meet with the pastors afterwards. And me and Jaren and Chris are sitting there and no one comes on except our mentor, Dale Johnson comes on. And it's almost more embarrassing because he's like coming on just to support us. And he's like, Hey, did I interrupt anything? It's like, no, <laughs> nobody, nobody, there's here. no one here. And, uh, but you know, what's interesting. I can say this. Um, one of the things I learned through, there's two things that we had going like one was through alpha. We learned that you can meaningfully connect and facilitate ministry through video. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there wasn't a huge hurdle there to believe that it's possible. Um, and then the, another thing that it forced us to do it for, we always wanted to have an emphasis on small groups. And we had this, this conviction that the best work of the church can happen through lay leaders if they're empowered and supported. And so we put tons of labor and work into supporting 
small group leaders to be actual pastors because the only shot we had was people getting together in really small groups. And so we started meeting with all these lay pastors who were part of our team and saying, hey, can you gather five or six or whatever the numbers were at the time? So they meet on Zoom, but then they would do like little meetups of three or four people to pray at the beach and different things. And there's all of a sudden all these cells of like people discipling one another. And so because, um, because of the pandemic, we got to not just got get caught up in the minutia of running a Sunday gathering, but actually having to empower leaders to do the work of ministry, which is the very thing for which we've been anointed for. Yes. And so it, it really, it really shaped us. But all that to be said, like when we were able to start meeting in person and sing together, like there's nothing like it. And, um, and so we've just, even now it's like, there's a few of the small groups in our church still meet on zoom and most of them meet in person in homes and, and so there's kind of an integrated model and we hold it super loosely, you know, going, um, what's going to serve people and what can we do with integrity? What can we do with the resources that we've got? And uh, I think one thing that does drive us is to be a people in a place. And so we're definitely always trying to contextualize even our online ministries and means by which people in Vancouver and North Vancouver can connect meaningfully in our church. And we do have people around the world that might watch or consume, um, but we're really meaningfully trying to ask the question, how do we, how do we, and this is the call for our church. I know some churches have a more global sense of themselves uh, for us to be able to do what we feel called to with integrity. It needs to be grounded in a place. So even we're using mm -hmm. online, if anything, to move people towards incarnational community in the room. Wow. Well, I think that's interesting too, is this idea of localized context. I mean, I feel like every time I hear you talk or I get a chance to talk to you, you're talking about Vancouver, um, you know, you're like, <laughs> I feel like you're a fanboy for your city, which I, I, like, I think is so cool. Uh, I, I was out there in, uh, earlier this year and it was mild winter in January. And I'm thinking like, you know, this feels, this feels pretty good compared to Tor Toronto is like an amazing city. It's kind of, it feels, but it, it's closer to sort of where like, uh, politics and uh, in Canada and the US, like it's closer to that New York City center, it's closer to the European stuff. But you guys lean into the sort of like the Asian, the Asia Pacific, set. like it's, it's, and there's, so there's a different kind of thinking in both places. But because of that, what I'm trying to say, uh, when you can contextualize to your place, mm -hmm. um, the people of Vancouver are going to be different than the people of Toronto or New York or London or whatever. And so I love how um, clear you are about that. Um, now, Jason, does that feel like intimidating to you or to your wife, this idea of like, we're here in Vancouver and like, we'll be here for a long time or forever. Like, because I just think a lot of people, they don't commit to a place like that. Yeah. Uh, we move around or at least we may not ever move, but we want the opportunity to. Yeah. Yeah. It's very millennial of us to be yeah. like, you know, I'm here right now. I'm yeah, here Don't right tie now. me down, man. I don't know. You know, I think I've said things out loud. Like I'd love to have you know, five decades here. Hmm. And, and I think, I think I've stopped saying that because I really don't know what the future holds. And, um, I love what that represents a call to faithfulness, but I can't even say that to my church because like, I think one of the things that we're seeing is, um, that we, we, we've learned that people are like, they build a connection with a pastor and they, that those promises you make, like I'm here forever. I never want to I never want to, you know, make a promise I can't keep. Mm -hmm. um, however, I do feel in my, my heart that we're not going anywhere anytime soon. And it, part of it's because of like a growing working theory of change and what it takes to build things that are beautiful and enduring and lasting and meaningful. 
um, because the main thing we're building is people, not like infrastructure. Infrastructure can be built relatively quickly, but people, it's just like, it takes time. Trust takes time. And then on the like bridges that trust build, you can do all sorts of like growth and development and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I'm so thankful for to be able to pastor here is I really know the culture, but I also really know good people. And we do life together. We walk together. That's such a funny thing. Do life together. But I really do. You yeah. know, like, you know, we have friends in common. And one of our friends in common who's doing great work um, in the creative space, he and I jog together on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And then he tells me about his experiences. And we learn together. And, um, you know, all these little tapestries that happen, it makes, it brings joy and sweetness and an effectiveness to the ministry that I couldn't otherwise. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if God will have us here for a time, we, we, we'd love to experience and taste the joy of that. Um, but it's, every city has its challenges. And so we feel it. We're learning, like we're three years into this journey. Church is about two years old and we've been here for three years and we're sort of going, okay, you know, for us to do this with joy sustainably, what do those rhythms look like for our family? What does it look like for us to retreat even from the city, which I know sounds funny, you know, so we're talking about rhythms of holiday and rest that maybe look different than we did before. It also has to do with age and stage of our kids. Um, I think that there are moments where you sort of go like the gift of being, having a sense of calling to a place is I think available to every single person, like every single person, whether you feel like you're in your dream job or not. I used to work at A&W in high school and what God was doing in my life in those days is like, I felt like a freaking missionary at A&W. Mm. Like I, <laughs> I would cycle there not in my Not just there outfit. for the burgers and root beer. No, I was like, God put me here. And that was what God was doing in my life in high school. And I'm like, and I lost that flavor. Like I was in Langley and pastoring, but didn't have a sense of calling to place. And the gift of coming here is like, oh, I know why I came here. And so mm -hmm. when sometimes I look at the rent and it's like twice what I was paying before and I, my kids miss having a yard or all these things, which I'm so privileged that I even get to have that commentary. Um, but I know why I'm here. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I do think that's available to everyone to have a sense of wherever they are, like God's got me here for a reason. And so that's been the gift of the season. And then, but he could do that in my heart to take me somewhere else, you know? And so that kind of gets me excited too, but I think it's here for a while. Sometimes I'll travel. Um, I remember being like in the South uh, in Nashville and getting off the plane. And I have some friends that are pastors there and they're, they're just made to pastor in that place. And I just am like, I have no clue how to pastor the people of Nashville. I have no clue. You know, just the way Christianity is so part of the culture there, but then there's a different It's like an industry task. there, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just yeah. like, I have, I know how to do it in a place where most people think Christianity is at best lame, um, but at worst dangerous, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then this confluence of all this first and second generation immigration who see it very differently. And like, this is the place, you know, yeah, I feel more comfortable with like, you know, anyways, I won't say anymore, but yeah. I'm called well, here and I find joy in that. Can we, um, as we move in, because I, I want to start talking about Christian leaders, whether in Canada or, you know, around the world, you know, you're very, you have this burden, this passion, this heart. That's what the Canadian Church Leaders Network is all about. And because you mentioned the cost of rent being double, I actually would like to, I don't talk about this much on the podcast. Um, there's this challenge of the mm -hmm. cost financially yeah. of life. And yeah. being a pastor, I don't think this is a new thing. Like mm -hmm. this is not like it's new in terms of 
maybe for us, because you and I both live in the most expensive places in our country to live. Uh, It's insanely expensive. You know, people can't find a home. They can't, there's housing crisis, all this kind of stuff, but, but that's not new. Nothing's new under the sun. This is, has been true that Christian work and finances meeting up has always been, um, challenging. Um, are you seeing, are you seeing people leaving or not wanting to go in, in the first place mm-hmm. or maybe more so the leaving side of it? Like the money doesn't work. Mm-hmm. They got to go get a job. Yeah. Um, I'd yes. love for you, I'd love for some insight for you on like the, the, however much you want to get into it personally or not, but just what are you seeing about, and mm-hmm. if there's senior leaders listening to this podcast who are trying to figure out how to pay their staff and money's always tight, you know, what, mm-hmm. what do we do about this? It's really complicated because if I can do a tangent and come back to your thing, yeah, one of the sure. things that I'm most burdened by is that we have a crisis of, and actually other industries are aware of this. It's not just the church. We have a crisis of like a generational shift. So we don't have enough pastors to fill the need. And so as baby boomers retire and we're in the beginning stage of their retirement and boomer retirement will look so different. Like there's so much that even through 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s that those individuals can meaningfully contribute. But in terms of like these lead pastor positions and other ones, there's going to be a huge amount of vacancies. My friends that are in like uh, accounting firms, they're having the same conversations because there's not enough young accountants to take over the businesses that these people have started. And so it's the same there. But that if you if you do sort of some math and you look at that like generational bubble from boomers to Xers and millennials and Gen Z, and then add the attrition rate of church engagement, and then also the lowing, lower desire to get into pastoral ministry, if you kind of like add those as like lower, 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 you end up with a ratio of like for every, you know, 10 that are retiring, you might have one Xer or millennial in the pipeline ready to take that role. Um, so that's that's the crisis. And then you add on top of that, this dynamic of, and finances are part of it. You've got the reality of retirement, where how do pastors retire well? If you've been the lead pastor forever, how do you parlay that into a job in your 60s? So maybe you you, keep, you, you hold that seat of leadership longer because you don't know how to, how, what, what else could you do? Yeah, but then what, there's also what are, this, how do my skills translate yeah, anywhere else? Yeah, It's very hard, you know? And then there's also this dynamic that because of inflation and cost of living, that like, You've got leadership teams that bought their houses 40 years before setting salaries for people who's trying to get a house that's 10, 20, 30, 100 times more than it was. Like, there's just these crazy dynamics. And so I find that there's a lot of things that are making urban church planning challenging. Uh, one of those is the cost for sure, or not or just church ministry in general, attracting good talent. Um, but there's equal ch- challenges as well in the rural setting where maybe the cost of living is lower, but like the desirability to go and pastor in that place is not the same because we've so emphasized and sort of idolized the urban space. So there's always a tension. I think finances is definitely part of the story. And then there's our own idolatry around money and this relationship between like, how do we have a healthy relationship with it? And like, if I was to be really candid, like Joanna, like what I'm praying for is not just that I can afford to live here, but that I can afford to be generous while living here. And, and this is the most audacious thing is because I want generational transformation in the city. I'm praying that my kids can inherit land in this city and that the children of the people that I'm leading a church with can. And I have no idea how that's possible, but I'm asking God for that. I'm asking God, like, can you somehow do a miracle that, because I want to see this city change for generations. And so our children, the children of our church, 
if they have to leave the city every time, you know, so those are some of the things yeah, I'm thinking about. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. As Jason and I are talking about church in Canada and around the world, when we think of the global church, here's what you need to know. Right now, the world is facing an unprecedented global food crisis. The numbers are really staggering. 828 million people, or nearly 10% of the world's population, were affected by hunger last year. That's 46 million more people than the year earlier, just to give you some context. It can be really hard to continuously bear witness to this kind of need? Like, what do we do when nearly 10% of the world is struggling to find where their next meal, how they're going to feed their kids today and tomorrow? But here's the good news. Compassion's local church partners are on the front lines and they're responding to this need. And there are simple and tangible ways that we can partner and answer hunger with hope. This year's Gifts of Compassion gift guide includes gifts specifically targeted to meeting the critical needs brought on by the food crisis. And at Christmas time, around the holidays, we're looking for gifts. We're looking for things to do for people that are meaningful. And you can do that. Give at compassion.ca slash shop, compassion.ca slash shop. And the link will be down in the show notes. Well, and I think too, that's where uh, some curiosity too. I come from some real estate background in my own family. And, uh, you know, we, my family's always had these huge ministry heart, but no, not a lot of people have been like professional ministry people, a few missionaries mm-hmm. and whatnot, but not a lot of pastors or anything. And, and it's this idea of like, you come from this business education background and you're thinking, I, I wonder how that contributes to, to your thinking strategically about investing and money. And as you say, like this intergenerational wealth, how do we not do that to hoard it, but to actually bless the city to keep it going? And like, what might God do with those kind of dreams? I think that's, I mean, that, that it's a, it's a whole other conversation maybe we could yeah. have, but, but, uh, I think it's very real and I it's see a lot of people conversation. having second jaw. I mean, we are talking about like the conversation since COVID is all these per- pastors are burning out more people mm-hmm. than ever. We know the studies more people than ever are thinking about or have left ministry. Um, mm-hmm. and in that mix, how many, how many ministry people I know who need second jobs to make yeah. this thing work for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you seeing? Um, you know, broader than the money thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, you know, what are you, what are you seeing? Um, we're up against and what, where are some places, maybe if this was like the old camp thing, we'd say like roses, a thorn and a new bud, like what's hard, like what's that. good, like what's a growth edge. We do roses and thorns at the dinner table whenever we're all together as a family. So I like that. Yeah. I'm in a safe place with roses and thorns. Um, <laughs> So we, we, we are in a very profound moment in the church in Canada and the States, I'm sure around the world, but I just know this context the most. And uh, we talked about like this transition of leadership. I think that there's a couple different other crises happening at once. I think there's a crisis of pastoral identity. I think that we've talked a lot about church technique, models, forms, and I'm up for a good conversation. Like if you want to talk about our small group model, like we got details and like we, I love chatting, chatty model, but we've become like model emphasis and a lot, there's a lot of stuff that's been learned from the business space that I think can maybe serve and work in the church. But then we have this crisis, I think of pastoral vocational identity. Like what does it mean to be a pastor? Like what does it mean to be a shepherd leader when you spend a lot of time with budgets and and managing? What does it mean to be a shepherd in a place? What does it mean to be priestly as we walk around the city? And I think that there's a real crisis there. And I think there's a crisis of faithfulness, like you talked about, like 
like lasting. And I think that we've emphasized technique and output and maybe under emphasized character mm. and deep abiding in God, um, which is so required for all Christians, but for pastors to be able to make it work. Like the finances is not the hardest thing. The spiritual warfare, the criticism, the burden of hurting people, burying their souls before you, the burden of, of praying and longing to see change in a city and then not seeing it happen. Like it's crushing for the soul. And if there isn't this deep reservoir or a place to connect deeply with God and because of the busyness, and because somehow doing the work of the ministry can disconnect you from the very purpose for which you got into in the first place, which is a painful irony, we have like a bunch of very, very hollow hearts. Hmm. And um, I think that's, there's this, there's the crisis of that. And I think that's, there's a great re resurgence of coming back to celebrating what an honor to be called to seek God on behalf of a people and to love a people deeply in a place. So I think that as well, there's this crisis of pastoral identity and character and depth of intimacy with God, but there's also this resurgence. I think similar to that is prayer. Like I think that the church um, in our context, not globally, but the church in our context is, is like without prayer. But then there's these new movements like 24-7 prayer catching like wind and they have been for a while, but catching wind again, it's like the church is being called to pray uh, to be a desperate, dependent people. And so I think there's like this kind of like interplay where we might be on the precipice of God doing a new thing in our time. And I don't know, uh, we have this saying like amongst our team at church, like we're contending for revival. You know, we're contending for like God could in our time, like give us revival, like it could happen. Like he could just, oh, like the spirit's done it before. We could, we want to contend for that, pray like, like we serve a God of revival, but we're content to be a remnant. So it's like contending for revival, but content to be a remnant. And a remnant mm. is the generation that like doesn't see the revival they hope for, but they stewarded the faith. Like they were found faithful, not perfect, but faithful. And so that's kind of our mode for ministry, but also discipleship is like, we're contending for revival, but we're content to be a remnant. Like we might not see it in our generation, but maybe our kids was look like for it to steward that. And so that's where I think we're at in the church is like, I think we're in a moment where it could be a season of renewal, but maybe it's a moment to be a remnant, to be just found faithful, to hold on to the true things and not to be distracted by every single issue. Like I think one of the, the most painful things for leaders and detrimental thing in the last two years is because of just the influx of information and these, some of them incredible social movements that have sparked through social media primarily. It feels like we've just been reactive and it becomes disorienting. And I think there's an opportunity in this moment to become grounded again in the kind of work that only really bears fruit over the long haul. And that's the tension of the kind of work we're in. Love it. No, I love it. Um, I know, I feel like you can, you're sort of one of those things, you just poke a little bit and then all this stuff is going to come out of Jason <laughs> um, because I see it in you. I mean, maybe my last, my last question then around that is, um, you know, what, I think of a previous generation, there was this idea of like the CEO pastor, um, um, the person we put at the front or the, the top leader was more business oriented, was a great mm. communicator. And you, you said earlier in our conversation, you know, you don't normally speak, or at least you're not like, you're not there. It doesn't sound like you're there 80% of the time at the front. Um, and so what kind of leader 
whether you're, what are you trying to be or what kind of leaders mm. are, are we trying to develop that for this kind of world, this interconnected world, this post-Christian world, Jay, you know, what, what are we seeing as like some characteristics of the pa- mm. the title pastor? I would say like these, we mm. need these people to lead. Yeah. Hmm. We have a preaching team at our church, which is such a joy. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Mostly it's just kind of like, it's, I don't know how to lead if I have to write a talk every week. Yeah, And I also think it's better for the formation of our congregation to hear from different voices. And, but we also happen to have great other teachers. So I don't take that for granted. Like, so there's an interplay there. Um, More and more, I believe that like what we need is men and women of character Hmm. Um, men and women who are in touch with their sense of calling um, and who really walk with God. I think that's the baseline. Like, I think, I think there, we have to name the idolatry of talent. Like we have just, and it's the nature of like, even our age is like, if you're talented, then people want to hear or articulate, then you want to hear more of. So they're platformed. And so then what we've ended up doing, it's not, no one's had a bad intent, but like, and then social media is amplified, but conferences and social media platform are a certain type of person that can transmit in that space. And so we've idolized a certain set of talent. And I'm, I think what we should do is thank God that he distributes gifts thoughtfully. I think we need different types of leaders with different types of gifts. And that we're not looking for one personality or one set of gifts. But at the baseline, I think we need a few things. We need character, intimacy with God, deep character. Um, and then we need um, we need people to know their unique gifting and calling. And then we need a community that celebrates diversity of gifting and calling. So as a broader church, the best thing we can do is not try to tear down a certain type of leader because I'm so thankful for people with sharp business acumen or great communication gifting. Like I think about some preachers I'm like, wow, what a gift they are to the body of Christ. It's like, yeah. oh, big churches are bad. No, big churches can do amazing things. They have limitations. But like, but, but so we, we can say that those are good, those are bad. It's like, well, in a kingdom tapestry in a city, we need all types of churches doing all types of things and we can celebrate each other. And the same with leaders. And then within churches, I think that and this isn't a new idea. This is a Bible idea. You see this idea of a plurality of giftings with interdependency. Mm. And I think it's like one of God's great experiments is like giving the church scattering gifts and then making imperfect people have to work together because then he gets all the credit and glory. And in the process, we're constantly being formed into more and more Christ-like people by mutual submission. And so I think it's like, delighting in other people's gifts and abilities. I don't think there's one type of pastor, one man or woman or prototype for a man or woman that's the leader for the day. We need people who are savvy in the digital space and people who don't have cell phones. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I was thinking about like, we want to go, what's the right thing? Should we be on social media or not? For the glory of God, we need people like yourself, Joanna, who are fluent and dynamic and creating content for that space. And for the glory of God in the same church, we need people who say, I fully abstain from smartphone use for the glory of God. And instead of like moralizing our positions on those things or our, we need to kind of go, oh, this is how God does it. He gives different types of gifts and passions and interests and ability. And then if we can sincerely, sincerely prefer one another. So that happens in a micro sense in a living community of a local church or people in a place like a city, but then in the church in a national level or a global level, we can celebrate diversity of gift scenes and insight and ability 
Um, and I think that the more and more we de-idolize like one model, one type of person, the more and more we can find joy in our work too, because I just can't be those people I see on social media. I just can't, yeah. I'm just not that good of a speaker. I'm just not that good of a leader, but I, I do. Or maybe think you can be one gifts. day, but you can't be that every day, every week, every month, exactly. every year. Yeah, exactly. You know, but also kind of like, you know, I'm not extroverted. So I remember wanting to be so much like my youth pastor, Ben, who the way he did youth ministry was he's in the room with everybody, constantly pulling them together and he could go. And I was just always exhausted, but I was out of touch with how God made me. I just was out of sync with that. And so like part of the, I think maturing as a leader is discovering your unique wirings and giftings. And actually in a way that honors God being content in the limitations he's given you and the gifts he's been giving you. And I think that you know, when we embrace our limitations, that can become worship. And then when we embrace our gifts, that can become worship as well. Yeah. Uh, Jason, I love it. I wish we had more time. If you want to send people to the stuff you're kind of talking about in Passion, but where do you want to send people on the internet today uh, to find some of these things we've just discussed? I'm, I'm really interested in this question of like, what does it mean to be a pastor today? And so we have this podcast called the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast that we're just pretty much having that conversation a couple times a month, interviewing pastors, having conversations about life in ministry, and not really talking about strategy, although there's a little bit of that, really talking about the heart of what that means. And then um, so many of the people I mentioned are part of my church community. And so if you wanted a window into like what we're up to, you can search The Way Church in Vancouver and get a window into some of the things we're doing um, and that's it. Awesome. And I, I just love chatting with you about this stuff. And I hope that in the midst of all the ramblings, there's some threads that people can follow and make sense of. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you might've heard in the background, Millie just chatting up a storm downstairs. And so thanks for letting me do this from home while I watch my sick baby girl. Oh man, Jason, it's a privilege to, to get inside your brain for a few minutes and to offer that to others who are listening. I think it's going to be a deep encouragement and, you know, I, I think that uh, you need you need that hi- you got like a hype girl behind you. <laughs> uh huh. That's right. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, I'm so good. glad she joined the call. <laughs> so Thanks. good. Oh, thanks for having me. Jason Ballard, thank you as always for a little slice of time to get into your head and your mind. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Next week on the podcast, we're kicking off Advent. That's the lead up to Christmas with artist Betty Dickinson. She's written a book that's all about using art each day in the 25 days leading up to Christmas to help us connect making room for God in our lives and also making room for others. So I think you're going to love the conversation. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Compassion Canada who are lifting children from poverty and hunger in Jesus' name. The new podcast scripture Untangled by the Canadian Bible Society, go check it out. And Serve HQ, where you can train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online fast and easy. The links are down in the show notes. Would love for you to support these sponsors so that we can keep making these podcasts for you. As always, find us throughout the week on our YouTube channel. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening. It helps other people find this as well. And make sure that you don't miss episodes. You can go check out the back catalog of content as well. Now we have years of it in the making and we'll see you next week with Betty Dickinson.